Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Talk Portland, Intercom Radio Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. The mission of Blanchet House is to offer food, shelter, and aid to all those in need of a safe place to be nourished and restored. Assist the transformation of each life they touch with compassion and dignity. And on the show this time, I'd like to welcome Scott Kerman. Scott is the executive director of Blanchet House of Hospitality. Hello there, Scott. Hello. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing good. How is Blanchet House doing? Tell me about it. Well, Blanchet House is is doing great because we're serving our mission. We um, provide meal service to homeless and food insecure insecure individuals. Uh, in the Old Town District of Portland, we do that three times a day, six days a week, and we've been doing it strong um, for almost 70 years and have continued to serve during the pandemic. 70 years? Wow. Yes. So uh, in case people aren't familiar with Blanchet House, let's let's tell them the history. Tell us all about it. Well, Blanchet House was founded by a group of students at the University of Portland um, who were interested in forming a service club. And uh, they were advised by a priest at the university whose name is Father Kennard uh, that they should serve um, homeless people down in the Old Town District. Uh, back then, it was a, a lot of itinerant workers, people who worked in the uh, fishing and timber industries. And when there wasn't work, they were, they were often you know, hungry, without food, um, without shelter, perhaps. And so that's what they started to do. And it was in um, the early 1950s that as this group continued with new students, you know, joining and leaving as, as people were graduating and coming to uh, the University of Portland, they decided to make a go of it. And they f- officially formed Blanchet House and they started to lease property um, on Gleason Street in Old Town. And shortly after, we were able to purchase the property. And uh, that building uh, was the building that we used up until about seven, eight years ago when we opened our brand new building right next door. I know a lot of community services are in Old Town. Were you kind of one of the first core services there? Uh, we may have been. I, actually, I don't know how our timing coincides with, with other agencies, uh, but we have definitely been here a long time. I was kind of curious about that. Why it seems like a lot of homeless are very visible in Old Town and in downtown Portland, and I kind of wondered if it was the chicken egg thing, like who came first? Were you, and it sounds like you went there to serve the people who were there. 
That's correct. That's correct. Um, uh, the, the original members of, of the Blanchet House community came to this district because that's where people needed food. And when they purchased the building that they were serving food out of, they decided to, to begin providing shelter um, to the people that they were feeding. How long have you been with Blanchet House? I've been with Blanchet House for a year. Okay. So relatively new kid on the block. That's correct. And it's <laughs> although in although in COVID time, um, you know, it's almost like dog years. Exactly. And the, the last six months have been pretty intense. And so um, I think, you know, by the calendar, it's been a year. By the experience, much more than that. Yeah, you've picked quite a year to uh, to join the team. Well, right. None of us knew that this was, was coming. And, right. I, and I think for, for any of us serving in agencies that are providing shelter, food, or other services, um, this has been an extraordinarily challenging and exhausting and also inspiring six months. Um, there are a lot of agencies in our community who are doing amazing work for people who are struggling quite significantly, significantly at this time and are doing it sometimes with minimal staff and, and minimal volunteers. And uh, I just think, you know, we should all be really proud of, of how our community has stepped forward to help um, people who are probably suffering more than anyone during this time. Well, that's great to hear. That's, that's some good news. I want you to tell me about the services that Blanchet House offers to our community. So I, I really think of our program in, in three different um, three different pillars. Um, we do the meal services that I've been speaking about. We also shelter about 45 men um, here in our downtown facility. This is a long-term transitional program, and so the men are often with us for eight to nine months, um, some of them longer if they um, graduate into a third phase of our program. And the idea here is to provide men um, who are homeless, um, struggling with, with various challenges that, that brought them to homelessness. Sometimes it's addiction, sometimes it isn't. Um, to give them a place where they could stabilize, uh, set some life goals, work with a case manager, find employment outside of Blanchet House, and save money and stabilize in that employment uh, before they can transition to what we hope is um, sustainable and dignified housing. Uh, the third part of our program is Blanchet Farm. Uh, so we have a 60-acre farm in Carleton, Oregon. That's right outside of Newburgh. We house about 21 men there, and these are all individuals who are struggling with addiction. So it's a 12-step program where for the first 90 days, the men work our farm. We have pigs, chickens, goats, agriculture. We launched beekeeping uh, about four or five months ago, and so we have four hives going, and we have men who are being trained in taking care of the hives. And then they, too, can stay for up to about eight, nine months working outside of Blanchade Farm same deal, stabilizing themselves, saving some money, and then finding uh, sustainable and dignified housing. How long has Blanchet Farm been uh, running? Uh, Blanchet Farm started in the 1960s, and so it's been around for for quite a long time. And it's a a very unique program. Uh, There are maybe one or two other programs like it in the country. You know, a um, 12-step addiction-focused housing program set in a rural farm um, location and we find that it's just ideal for for many of the men who come to us there's that sense of being in a very beautiful and idyllic environment and working with the animals can be quite an experience uh, for the men in our program if you think about what addiction is like for for so many it's 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 all consuming it's a very selfish 
way of living. Um, often um, men struggling with addiction to the degree that they find themselves homeless have burned through friends and families and employment. And so working with our animals is, is really an opportunity for them to care for something outside of themselves for perhaps the first time in quite a while, but also get a sense of love back from the animals, right? They can become quite attached to the animals and vice versa, especially working with our pigs who are, who are such sweet animals. And so it's, it's, it's an amazing experience uh, for the men in our program and, and very unique. And you say they're there for about eight to nine months, is that right? That's correct. Tell me about some of the outcomes of the guys who have, have stayed there and, and what their lives are like now. Well, for many of the men, they, they have um, reunited with their families, um, reunited with their children. Um, they've found good jobs. They've found good housing. Uh, many of the men who come to the program um, come from out of state, and so they can return back to, to their state of origin, um, reuniting with friends and family. But, you know, it, you know, we have to be honest. You know, not every circumstance is a success, especially when you're talking about addiction and sobriety. Um, it literally is one day at a time. And, you know, for many individuals that we serve, um, the addiction is, is the devil that is always on their shoulder. And so um, we do have men who sometimes come back to our program for a second time or, or perhaps even a third time because we understand um, that it can take a lot sometimes for, for the men in our program to really stabilize themselves and, and have the strength and the opportunity to, um, to really uh, function Um, in spite of their addiction, right? An addict is always an addict. Um, It's just what we try to do is give them the tools and the opportunity where they can keep that devil um, at bay. We're talking today with Scott Kerman. Scott is the executive director of Blanchet House of Hospitality. Uh, You're located in Old Town, downtown Portland. And I want you to describe to me your typical meal guest. Tell me about some of the people that you serve. So most of the meal guests that we're serving right now um, during this pandemic are chronically homeless. Uh, A person who is chronically homeless has been homeless for at least a year, and they often suffer from one or multiple physical or mental disabilities and perhaps also addiction. Um, And so a person who is chronically homeless often doesn't have the tools or the wherewithal to um, survive, maybe survive is not the right word, but to um, function effectively uh, in an unsupported housing situation. Um, they often have been homeless for so long that it has become institutionalized way of life for them, which makes it even more difficult for them to um, leave homelessness and be successful in housing, which is why it's so critical for for this population of homeless um, that we develop supported housing uh, for these individuals. Many of them have such significant mental health crisis that um, they need a significant number of services, health and mental health care, in, in order to, to live effectively on their own. So um, it's a challenging audience to serve um, because the, the mental health crisis that they're suffering from can really interfere with their ability to um, take care of themselves. And so what we do what we can to make sure that they have nourishing food, that they have a compassionate place to get a meal and that we can try to provide whatever other needs that they have, whether that's clothing, 
um, toiletries or other essentials or referrals to other services. That's our, that's our typical guest during the pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, uh, we served many people who were uh, perhaps homeless but temporary, temporarily and not chronically, uh, people who lived in low-income low housing in the Old Town area. And so it was a much more varied um, community in terms of our service. Uh, but we're still seeing new people every day. You know, the economic crisis that has come along with the pandemic has hit a lot of people extremely hard. There are many, many people in our community who exist on the edge of homelessness because so much of their monthly income is required to sustain their housing. And so any economic downturn in their lives could push them into houselessness. We're also serving a lot more food insecure people during the pandemic. And these are individuals who are driving to our location, getting meals, and then driving away. And so uh, we suspect that these are individuals who are housed or perhaps sheltering in their car, um, but do not have enough money to uh, feed themselves or their families um, every day or through the week. Unfortunately, you're seeing a lot of new faces. That's correct. We're seeing new faces every day. How have you changed your services because of COVID-19? I know, gosh, it's changed everything, right? But how, how have you guys adjusted? Right. So it has completely changed um, essentially how we serve. And so we have a beautiful dining hall uh, facility. It's large with a, with a lot of windows, a lot of light, and a lot of space. And we used to serve our meals restaurant style. And so we would invite our meal guests into that space. They would sit at tables for four. And then we would have volunteers serve the food, um, serve coffee, serve water, bust the tables. Um, our meal guests were our guests. We didn't ask them to do anything. Uh, we were there to serve them. And what this did was it really spoke to the inherent dignity of the people that we were serving. Um, think about how good it used to feel for, for you or for people listening to this program to go out to a restaurant, uh, a place that you enjoy with friends and family, and to be served and, be, and to be treated with, with a high level of hospitality. So that's what we served to do in, in our dining hall. Well, now we're serving our meals to go. We're serving them out the door. And so a lot of that special touch that occurred inside our space has been lost. Nevertheless, we're still trying to serve uh, with the same compassion and dignity that we used to serve inside of our space. And a lot of that comes from our amazing volunteers. We have such amazing volunteers, some of whom have been coming to us every day to volunteer for the last six months. And so they've gotten to know the people that we're serving. They know their names. They even know how they want their coffee. And so we think that that probably means a lot to the people that we serve, that when they come up to the door in the morning, they're not only greeted by name, but the volunteer can say, here, I have your coffee with cream for you, or here, I know you like it black, so you know, here's your cup of coffee. And so it's all about serving to their inherent dignity. And, and, and as we've had many meal guests tell us, coming to Blanchet House for a meal makes them feel normal again and makes them feel respected and supported. And so that's, that's very meaningful to us. That type of kindness goes a long ways. Well, I mean, it, it humanizes people. Living on the street is very dehumanizing. And especially in the pandemic when they don't have anywhere to go inside, right? I mean, we have to be very mindful of this. For many of these individuals in our community, they have been outside for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the last six months. That includes 
the last week or so when our area was choked with smoke. And so this was extremely hard on the people that we were serving, uh, whether they're in tents or sleeping exposed on the street, they couldn't get away from the smoke. Some of them could take advantage of the shelters that were opened up by the city and the county. But for a lot of our chronically homeless um, uh, people that we serve, um, those shelters were not really a, a viable option for them. And so we handed out a lot of KN95 masks um, during that period, um, a lot of water, and just kept serving our meals despite the, uh, the hindrance of the conditions outside. How has the stress of everything going on in the world right now, especially the pandemic and, like you say, the wildfire smoke and, and the protests in downtown Portland, how has that affected your clients? Well, it just, I mean, I mean, their, their lives are, you know, completely upside down. Uh, you know, one thing that many people may not realize is that people who are, are homeless also have routines. Uh, many of them would have places that they would go every day, um, either for services, um, to have a shower, to do laundry, perhaps just to go to the library, just for an indoor place to, to relax and be still. And all of that has been shut down to them because of the pandemic. And so their whole routines and way of lives have changed. What was really interesting to us was that for the first two weeks that everything shut down in March, uh, most of the people that we were serving had never heard of COVID, had no idea why everything had shut down, wow. um, right? I mean, they're not following the news. They're not reading the New York Times or, or watching CNN. So this came out of nowhere. And so there was a lot of education that we had to do with the people that we were serving. And it's taken a long time to get people to, that we're serving to be thinking about wearing masks to socially distance. We're seeing a lot more of that behavior in the people that, that we're serving now than we did, for instance, in the first three months of the pandemic. That's really interesting. Yeah, we, we kind of take it for granted. We're constantly immersed in news, right? And know what's going on in the world, but not everybody, it's not the case for everybody. No, it's not the case at all. And imagine if you had traumatic brain injury, which with a, a significant percentage of homeless people do, or some other mental health um, condition, um, how might you be processing what is going on, um, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the protests, although we have not really experienced um, uh, any of the protest activity down at Blanchet House. Um, and so we can't really say that that has affected our meal guests um, too terribly, um, but, but certainly the smoke has and the pandemic has most of all. Yeah. We're talking today with Scott Kerman, Executive Director of Blanchet House. Now, Scott, I want to ask you about the staff that works with you and the volunteers. Tell me about the people that help you run Blanchet House. Well, I mean, the first thing that I would say is that they are heroes. I mean, they are, they are really heroes. It, it, you know, the, the staff here is so committed to our mission and to, and to serving um, our community. And that's really how we measure our success. You know, every day we feed people who are hungry, in need of a meal. Uh, we provide somebody who doesn't have shoes with shoes or a jacket if they don't have a jacket. And so, you know, every day we get to go home and feel good about the work that we're doing. In terms of our volunteers, um, their her heroism is, is, you know, incredibly inspiring to me. 
um, so many of them didn't miss a beat um, despite the pandemic that they were uh, willing to come down here um, even if they were putting themselves at risk by um, serving in the community as opposed to isolating at home. Uh, We treated everybody here as an essential worker because the work that we're doing is absolutely essential. There are, are a lot of people in our community that rely on Blanche House and other services in this community for food. And if, if we weren't here serving, then there would be people in our community who would go without a meal. How is Blanche House funded? This, you guys are a nonprofit, so this, it's got to all come from somewhere, right? Right. We are, uh, we are an independently funded nonprofit. Um, we did receive some emergency funding um, from the Joint Office of Homeless Services um, through July during this pandemic. But other than that, all of our funding is independent um, from private donors, um, some of whom send us $5 in the mail, um, some of whom are uh, more generous with that, but we value every contribution equally, of course, and, um, you know, from private foundations. And, um, and that's, that's really how we have always funded ourselves at Blanchet House. And we are so grateful for the generosity of our supporters who understand that uh, while we value their contributions of food and sack lunches and clothing and other items, um, it really takes dollars um, to make our work um, happen. Uh, These are not inexpensive programs to operate, and certainly nobody budgeted for a pandemic, and we've had to endure a lot of costs associated with serving in a pandemic um, that, you know, without the generosity of our community would have been, you know, quite difficult for us to withstand. Did I read correctly on your website that you've served over 300,000 people in the last year? We've served over 300,000 meals um, through August. Um, wow. I don't know how many people that is, but that is a lot of meals. And that's more meals than we served all of last year. Uh, in the initial months of the pandemic, I would say probably through July, we were easily serving double the number of meals that we were serving a year ago uh, at this time. Wow, that's, a, that's astounding. That's a big number. How does, it's, a, it's, a, it's a significant number. Yeah. How does Blanche Health help stop good food from going to waste? Tell me about that. Well, that's an excellent question because it's something that we're very proud of is that we rescue every month, you know, maybe forty to 50,000 uh, pounds of food that otherwise might have gone to the landfill. And so we receive donations of food from a number of um, uh, places around town, we, we get donations from Trader Joe's and from uh, we get a lot of our food from the Oregon Food Bank, uh, from a lot of area restaurants. We get a lot of coffee donated to us from Stumptown, uh, which is fantastic. And um, but so many restaurants and other uh, food service organizations in Portland donate food to us on a regular basis. And without that, we probably couldn't operate because we couldn't afford to purchase all the food that we need. But the fact that this food is is not going to waste, that it's good food that we can turn into really delicious, nutritious meals for the people that we're serving. And then with our food scraps or food waste, we can then take that and bring it to Blanchet Farm where it's used as slop for, for our animals and feed for our animals. And so, again, we can keep that uh, food from entering landfill. We can recycle that food um, uh, through our farm. Does anything from Blanchet Farm come to Blanchet House for, for food service? Not too much. 
Um, a lot of the food that they, um, especially eggs, they will use at the farm. And then sometimes if there's excess, they'll bring that to the Amhill food market um, for others who might need it. But, but for the most part, um, the food that we receive, uh, we receive from local sources. Uh, I mentioned um, Trader Joe's and the Oregon Food Bank. We get a lot of produce from Pacific Produce. Uh, we get a lot of meat from Columbia Empire Meat and um, so many other vendors that I'm going to fail to identify by name who are, are really critical to our services here. So if somebody listening to this show right now wants to help out and volunteer and help out the community, um, how can they do that? How can they help help Blanche House? Uh, the best way to find out um, how you can help us is by going to our website at blanchethouse.org, and you'll see a link for um, how to help, and there are opportunities where you can come and volunteer here on site, uh, but there are also ways that you can help our community uh, from the comfort of your own home. If coming down here to volunteer uh, doesn't feel right for you right now, um, there are a number of ways that you can support our community from off-site. Uh, we allow volunteers 14 years old and up uh, to come here and volunteer on site. And for children younger than that, uh, we have ideas on our website for families who want to um, do some service together with their children but can't necessarily come to Blanche House to do that physically. You guys sound like you're just doing amazing work. That's, that's so fantastic, and, and thank you. Well, I really appreciate that. You know, it's, uh, we get a lot of the gratitude um, that we could ever need from the people that we're serving. Um, they are you know, definitely grateful to our volunteers. You know, something that, that, that always strikes us is um, people that we're serving will sometimes ask us, you know, where did this clothing come from? Or where do you guys get your money? You know, where does the food come from? And when we tell them that we get our money from individuals in the community who send us donations, that we get clothing donated to us, that we get other products, you know, people can purchase it off of our Amazon wish list. The people we're serving are floored. I mean, these are individuals who just feel like life doesn't care about them and, and often feel invisible um, because that's often how people treat you know, homeless people when they encounter them on the street or in just the way that they feel that society treats them. And so when they find out that there are strangers in our community who care enough about them to donate money or donate clothing or make sack lunches, it really lifts them up. You know, they'll say, wow, I can't believe that people who don't know me care that much. And so that's why, you know, any kind of service or support that people can provide to Blanche House, it is meaningful in ways that we really can't um, qualify. Well, keep up the good work, Scott. Well, thank you. We, we definitely will. This is what we do. We've been talking today with Scott Kerman, the executive director of Blanche House of Hospitality. Thanks again. Let's Talk Portland is an Intercom Radio Portland public affairs program.